is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast, Washington State Review, and uh, Court of the Season Way Review. Gary Pasquist with Daryl Rideau. And, Daryl, we're going we're gonna to break down a bit of the game, as always. But we're also, since we are four games in, um, so one-third of the way through the season, I uh, kind of want to take a look at see some of the things that happened in the Washington State game, because a lot was indicative of how the season has gone so far. The Trojans sitting at 2-2 two and two with, uh, shall we say, the fair share of criticism uh, for the team so far. And so uh, let, let, let's go through and start up on the offense. First of all, just give your thoughts on how you thought the offense did uh, in, in this game here, finally putting some points on the board. You, you know, with each week, it almost feels like this offense resets itself. Because, and I know that oftentimes uh, USC's offense perhaps game plans for their opponent, and so they may customize and script plays specifically for that opponent. Make no mistake about it. When you're USC and you recruit the type of talent you recruit, you should be forcing defenses to adjust to your style. So with that being said, while I expected to see much of the same that I saw against Stanford and in Texas in terms of the offense sputtering, Gary, I have to believe I have to say that I was pleasantly surprised with the commitment to balance that we saw early on. What really impressed me most was just the multitude of formations that we saw at. Times we saw um, that rocket personnel with the two running backs in the backfield. Uh, we saw 22 personnel, two tight ends, two running backs. Um, I loved the the balance as it pertained to that because what I thought happened was I thought it allowed for USC to commit to the running game and allow for JT to assess the field, kind of get get a feel for the flow of the game before he started to unleash. Um, hell on that defense um, through the air. Early on, the strong commitment and emphasis to the running game proved well because I thought deep into like the first two possessions, he had only thrown maybe one or two attempts for six yards, and uh, the and there was a heavy emphasis on running the ball. Yeah, it was certainly more of an emphasis that we've seen in the past. Uh, that first drive, like you say, five plays down the field, all runs, uh, highlighted by a beautiful 50-yard run from uh, from Stephen Carr. Uh, and you punch it in the end zone, you go up seven zip, and uh, that, that felt really good. And uh, then you saw them start to throw the ball. Like you say, they, uh, JT was able to start mixing it up to a lot of different guys. But I love the way that it, in the past, the first three games of the season, Darrell, we would have seen them start to throw the ball and then keep on throwing the ball. And they wouldn't right. keep up with the run. And, and I love the way, like you talked about with the balance, you never really fully went away from the run. And at the end of the day, on a day when JT threw the ball very well, uh, you threw the ball 26 times and you ran the ball 31 times. I like that right. number a lot. I mean, especially from a freshman, and granted that this this particular freshman in JT Daniels uh, perhaps is a prodigy uh, and is, the, um, is an anomaly when it comes to skipping your senior year and playing at a high level at the collegiate level. Make no mistake about that. But there is something to be said about allowing him to get into a flow and a rhythm of a game. And 26 passes under 30 felt about right based on the way that they integrated those passes. It almost, you know, you gave JT a chance to really see how the defense was starting to commit to trying to stop the run, and that's when you took your shots. Versus, like you said, in weeks past, 
where, you, where the offense somewhat abandoned the running game, became one-dimensional, and allowed for defenses to pin their ears back, go to a speed rush, drop eight in the coverage at times, seven at times, and, and really take away those passing lanes that, that JT has found as, to be comfort zones for him. Let, let, let me ask you this. Did it seem like there was maybe quite a few jump balls, if you will, uh, thrown, and USC players made their fair share of catches. There were some beautiful ones. Uh, there was also a few pass interference penalties that uh, right. that went our way that were certainly beneficial. But uh, the one thing, and I know you talked about it with Daniel Lim and Bebe, who we're missing right now, it just seems like the middle of the field is an area that hasn't been attacked yet. But, boy, I'm not arguing anything that happened on Friday night with the way the receivers played. Uh, I thought there was some real – you know, you talk about going up and winning your battle against a defender. I thought the SC receivers did that in that game. Oh, okay, Gary, and help me with this. Usually, um, fall camp coming in hell week is about three or four weeks, right? Before you really start right. to kind of fine-tune things before the first season. Well, considering Friday's game would have marked the fourth game of the season with JT as the starting quarterback, Think about all those reps that he's now getting with Michael Pittman and Tyler Bonds and even Bayless Jones and, uh, you know, Sidney if you want to throw him in. Uh, we already sure. know what the chemistry is like with Amon Ra St. Brown. But there's a lot to be said about soliciting that feedback. Hey, bro, you know, I'm hitting you in practice. I'm throwing on your left shoulder, you know, when you're coming out of your break. Where do you like the ball? Th- that type of, that type of um, feedback that he's now getting from the receivers being able to critique that in practice, watching it on film, developing that timing. So now you go into a game against uh, where you you have to have confidence that your receivers can win those one-on-one matchups with the Washington State secondary. Because when you put the ball up, you're putting the ball up in a radius where you're saying, this is where my guy can go get it. And your guy being Pittman and and, and Tyler Vaughn, they have the confidence of knowing now where – JT in certain situations against certain coverages will place the ball to A, keep them away from a defender, but two, put the ball in a situation where they can be successful. I saw at times where JT led them so that they can, you know, kind of catch and run, and other times, you know, it was big boy football. Hey, my guys are more athletic than yours. Go up and get the ball, especially when the Washington State secondary failed to turn their head to look for the ball. So if you're going to play blindly like I played as a freshman and early on in my sophomore year without looking back for the ball, if you're not going to look back for the ball and my receiver sees the ball, then, yeah, I'm going to throw it right over your ear hole. And that's what JT did in this game. Yeah, and it, uh, there, there were just, you know, the touchdown pass to Amon Ra, we talked about the chemistry there, but that was a beautiful throw and catch. But uh, the, that two-point conversion, Daryl, right. the way that JT just – you know, I love the way he kept his head up and was standing in the field. This kid's so poised. You know, whatever you want to call him, skipping his senior year, I don't care. He is just so poised out there. But that ball he threw to Tyler Vons, um, when you watch it from the various angles that the TV cameras caught, oh, my goodness. What an incredible and, throw and catch. And this was it, was, it was tremendous. And, and right before halftime, what about Pittman's, Potential touchdown. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Back of the end zone where either the ball goes out of bounds or Pittman comes down with it, and Pittman tap dances, and it felt like, again, if the officials might have called touchdown and had it go to review, either way, it was inconclusive from the angles. So yeah. it was a judgment call, and the officials, obviously, they, um, their judgment was that perhaps he was out of bounds and they had to stick with that. 
but it, you cannot take away from the effort or the play. And today was a coming to uh, – it, it was really a coming out party for the offense. And if we see this type of uh, display of performance, the athleticism of – and acrobatic athleticism of Tyler Vons, the physicality of Michael Pittman, and the explosiveness of, of Amon Ross St. Brown, you can win with this because it's going to keep a lot of teams up at night trying to simulate that type of performance in practice. But you know what it also does for, um, for JT Daniels? It gives him versatility and options. If you need that tough, gritty yard, you know that Pittman is going to bang, bang some bodies and, and play big like a small forward. And if you know you need that hard-to-get place and you can put it in the corner, Vaughn is going to try to come down with that ball. But that deep threat capability that we're missing from a Daniel Imatore-Bebe from that uh, tight end position, we're now seeing it coming out of that slot position between yeah. Alvin Ross St. Brown and Valus Jones. So there's a lot to like about it. Um, and it feels like as the timing and the rhythm of the play calling starts to uh, uh, align with the skill set and the consistency of, these, of the performances of these players on the field, we may start seeing more layered crossing routes, timing slant routes. But early on, I think that the coaching staff really wanted to stay out of the middle of the field where they deemed to be um, the Bermuda Triangle, areas of a lot of concern, especially for freshmen who, who may be staring down the middle of a, of a shotgun barrel. Okay, so that becomes the big question. Um, okay, we, we seem to have found a formula. Because what I like, Daryl, is, is it's not like, you know, there were these astronomical numbers. If you look at the yeah. receiving core, we kind of talked about it uh, on, on the pregame show on radio, Chris Hale and I. About, we, we don't need a ton more from the Vons and the Pittman, but like you say, that chemistry wasn't there early. We just need a big play here and there. And as you said, kudos to Michael Pittman. The play didn't get called. But A for effort on dotting the I. You had presence of mind to know to tap your toe. You didn't get it. Um, you, you didn't get the call, I should say. Um, but you, you had the presence of mind to do it. But, okay, we have these guys now making some plays. What do you think of is this, is this coaching staff going to – they talk about keeping that balance or that temptation when JT gets hot to throw the ball around. Uh, which way do you think this pendulum will swing moving forward? You, you know, as much credit as I'd like to give to the receiving core for how they played, especially playing at home, in front of your home mm -hmm. fans, in front of your crowd, you know, in front of the, um, the, the, the many fans that support this team regardless of, of, of how it plays. I think that when this offense is at its best and there seems to be a groove and a rhythm to the play calling, it's because the running game is effective. And it's mm -hmm. almost like the running game becomes the heartbeat of this team. And it really sets a tempo that, that they can build off of. And while USC attempted early on in the season, Gary, with rotating three, three running backs, I think there's a lot to be said about just identifying, and you were alluding to this before, identifying a rhythm with two running backs and trying to figure out that style of play and then building a game plan around that. Because it seems like the receivers pride themselves off of blocking for the backs, getting physical with the corners, and then using that play action or using the threat of run to create those one-on-one -on -one matchups that they are clearly winning, or at least they won against Washington State. So I think that the recipe is under that 30, uh, that 30 attempts, high production from um, JT Daniels, 
but that comes from the fact that teams have to respect the running game and 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 give your receivers an opportunity for those one-on-one battles. When you dial up 45, 50 uh, attempts passing, you know that they're going to be in nickel and dime coverage, five and six DBs on the field, and that doesn't always necessarily benefit the secondary because it takes away their ability to be creative and improvise and win those one-on-one matchups. Um, yeah, and you hate for someone like Haka Cedric Ware, who has been such, you know, such a champion since spring ball. Yeah. Uh, he has absolutely been one of the bell cows of the team. Um, a timely, sounds like very much a minor knee issue this last week in practice, but, uh, he was limited to one carry, and I agree with you 100%. If we're looking at this game in terms of a blueprint of how to move forward, uh, I can sit here and give you a lot of reasons why I like the Car Malapii duo. Uh, in there. So it'll be very interesting to see how they rotate backs moving forward, but uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. And what was interesting, Daryl, we also saw uh, a, a designed run or two from JT Daniels that were they were successful. Uh, you know what? The man, the man and and at, least one or, at least one or two of those attempts will keep a team honest. They'll have to respect right. the fact that now not only do you have to focus on you know the receivers or the running back out of the backfield, but but now you you literally have to defend the full field, and that spacing that balance um, creates those obvious um, you know backdoor uh, running lanes. When JT feels like okay, I don't want to force it. Let me see if I can get three or four yards, you know, to create a manageable second or third down. Right, right. But but okay, but, but you know, but, but, Gary, I, I got something for you. Okay, uh, considering the amount of points that they put up, you know. Should we be alarmed that USC still struggled on third down? And it, it felt like up until the point where, you know, they changed up the backfield, actually put a, a fullback in the backfield, that felt like the first time that they were able to convert on third down. So, you know, um, with, with as much success as they put up, have we seen the best of this USC football on, on offense? Oh, gosh, I hope not. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of lot left in the tank for this offense. Uh, we talked about the little gains we saw this last week from the receiving core. Well, if we all of a sudden see that on a, on a consistent basis, which I don't think there's any reason that we shouldn't expect this, Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons are, are two very accomplished receivers uh, for, for right. USC for this point in their careers. So I don't think there's anything flukish about that. I mean, you had Amon Ross St. Brown limited to two catches for 38 yards. And, and, you know, it didn't feel like we, we, we were lacking anything. But you know that young man's going to have big games, and we're starting to right. see something out of Sydney. And, you know, when Vellis Jones make a 44-yard catch, it's not a surprise right yep. now. You know, okay, that's what right. Vellis but, 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 Gary, but, but if you're Amon Ross St. Brown, you get two for 38, but one of them is a touchdown, are you really complaining? I never oh, seen this kid all. complain. Whether you're he shows up, you know, seven for 100-plus or two for 38. Same attitude. You know, attitude. he just enjoys – playing football at a high level. You're right. You're right. And if you get this ground game going, and, and let's let's assume that, uh, you know, this offensive line, if we can see them come together. And anytime, anytime you rush for, you know, a, a pretty good total, you average 3.6 yards a carry, um, you got the job done. And hopefully we see that improve. No, to, to answer your question, Daryl, I do not think uh, that we have seen the best of this offense, and especially because the final point I want to make for offense how much did you enjoy the I formation with a we'll, – we'll, we'll create a fullback. We'll take a reserve center and put a 99 on him and throw him back as a fullback in the I formation. 
Oh, I I, I loved it, and I, look, I, I remember tweeting you. Uh, I mean, um, sending you a text, and I almost felt like I was watching a Warner Brothers uh, uh, um, cartoon. I thought I saw a fullback. I did. I did see a fullback. It it it, it was just it it was so great and refreshing because you can tell that Washington State, the Cougars, defensively had not game planned for that physical style. They were expecting an offset back. And lo and hold, you know, when you see a fat nasty in the backfield, that's a lot of weight, you know, mowing down on you, cleaning up the uh, the, uh, the A-gap. So uh, kudos to USC, like I said, for showing a little wrinkle and now forcing teams to have to, again, defend for a balanced offense. And uh, I, I, it was great to hear Clay Heldon talk about how, you know, he expects to incorporate more of that moving forward in the in the game plan. Because you know, Gary – the best friend of a quarterback is a power running game. You know, no no quarterback wants to be in there in an obvious third down situation, allow the defense to pin their ears back, and have to grind for two or three yards. When you can just hand that ball off and, and you know you allow your, your um, offense alignment to be rewarded by mowing down the defensive players. I loved it. Yeah, I think both Neil and Ann Dennis do a good job with it. Both both are emotional football players on the line. But there's something about Neil and the way he gets going, and you can tell. There's, man, that kid gets pure joy out of putting someone on their back. He uh, <laughs> He's a good person to have back there doing it. Okay, let's I'm uh, let's just glad I don't have there. any more eligibility left, because if I saw oh, him coming man. at me, boy. <laughs> That's a business decision so. right there. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the uh, the Trojan defense. That, that's that's you, you. You said it in our video, Daryl Posty. That, that's a challenge to go up against Washington State. They throw the football so well. They are so precise. They know what they're doing. Um, and yet, okay, Minshew threw up 52 passes, 37 of them, 344 yards. He got his. There's no doubt about it. No, but it didn't feel like that. it was anything out of the ordinary um, for what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with you there. And look, okay, when, when you're going up against an offense that's going to throw the ball 52 times. And on top of throwing it 52 times, it's not like they're dropping back seven yards deep, you know, play-action pass. No, the, the, this game was designed for uh, for them to get the ball out in rhythm in under 2.7 seconds uh, uh, per attempt. So, and they were averaging probably around 2.5 if we were to probably clock it, okay? So you know that your defensive line is not going to necessarily be able to get to the quarterback um, on a consistent basis. However, the one area you can take away was the defense were winning the first and second down battles, forcing uh, Washington State into uh, third down situations. And granted, you know, USC's offense went 7 for, uh, seven of 16 uh, on third down, and then, you know, the downside was they lost, you know, on fourth down, um, Washington State went for it three times and were successful each time. The one takeaway that I have and that you alluded to um, at, during our post-game remarks was, boy, how many players were seeing the field and seeing the ball coming out the hands and getting their hands up for deflections or pass breakups. You got, if, if there is one takeaway, considering USC didn't come out with a lot of you know, forced fumbles or interceptions, it was the fact that they were getting a lot of pass breakups, seeing the ball well, especially um, – the secondary, including the linebackers, I, I was very pleased with what I saw from that performance. What did you think? Uh, well, the the first thing that you know, with the five pass breakups, and three of them were early. 
uh, is that they, they were from the, not the usual suspects. You know, you had Malik right. Dorton, you had John Houston, you had Levi Jones. Uh, these aren't usually the guys knocking balls down, but I, I, I thought probably the prettiest one at the end was from uh, Talanoa Hufanga. Uh, oh, no doubt. Getting, getting over and being in position almost nonchalantly. Uh, right, and, and it almost kind of makes you wonder if he can go back and do it all over again. He took such a beautiful angle, came downfield, and just kind of slapped the ball away like he was playing in the back in the backyard with a younger brother. Right? Um, it almost makes you wonder, like, man, if you would have just put up your, you know, your other paw, might you have picked that ball off and ran it back for six? You know, but but, to, but give him a lot of credit. To me, um, that's, that's, that's later in his career for that. That's, yeah, that's later in his career. Yeah, but give him a lot, a lot of credit for being thrusted in the fire. I think he is truly a free safety. But are you going to replace Marvell Tell? Absolutely not. No. So you move him over, you slide him over to strong safety. And and for those who are unaware, the strong safety is like the quarterback of the secondary. You're called, you're asked to make sure all of your secondary members are are uh, aligned. You're calling out the plays, and you're also asked to to give run fits. You know, so, uh, again, there's a lot being thrown on him. And oftentimes, in the secondary, as a strong safety, you can see a lot, which means you're seeing too much. So for him to discipline his eyes, to read his landmarks and his keys, uh, and be Johnny on the spot, give him a lot of credit. He's growing up before our eyes. Um, But for every positive play we saw with pass breakups, there's still the question and concern that a lot of people on the message boards have saw. So let's not try to avoid the obvious. There's still a big problem opposite corner of uh, Iman Biggie Marshall. Credit Iman Biggie Marshall for for uh, being the senior that he is and, and playing consistent. Because that left side opposite of him it has been a carousel of, of 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 secondary players from Greg Johnson, who uh, you know isn't seeing the field well. He needs to he needs to go back fundamentally and look at his alignment and his stance and get his eyes out of the backfield and play with leverage. Weave out of his backpedal so that he's taking better angles. There were times where he was taking a 45-degree downhill angle when he should have been opening up to the post. That would have put him in better position working to the receiver's upfield shoulder. Instead, he's undercutting it, and he's delayed and he's slow because he's allowing the receivers to get on his heels. Okay, With, um, with uh, uh, Isaiah Langley, Isaiah is a better zone corner but can play some man-to-man coverage, okay? But with him, he get, if he gets beat at the point of attack, he oftentimes you'll see his shoulders drop, and just that slight hesitation allows for the defender to get behind him. So if, if, if there's so much inconsistency at that position, one begs to argue, where is Griffin in all of this, the young freshman out of um, um, Santa, uh, what, Margarita, Mr. right? Viejo. Sa- yeah, Mr. Viejo. Yeah, Mr. I'm sorry. Where is he at, and should he be now considered someone who could possibly give you a spell or two on a series or two? Or do you go with a veteran, Jonathan Lockett, and you just have him play off man? You know he's going to be where he needs to be. But I guess the argument that I'm making is if if you're struggling with two corners, then you need to open up that competition and allow the most consistent player to play because right now that corner spot is a liability in the secondary and ultimately I think that the lack of consistency from that position is impacting the overall production of what could be a very promising defense moving forward 
Yeah, especially as you get into the heart of the Pac-12 where, uh, you know, these teams coming up on the schedule can throw the ball. Um, and, and so I agree with you. I My first instinct would be to give a longer look to uh, Elijah Griffin, especially let's say you get through this week and uh, you keep things kind of status quo. You will have a bye week after that. Um, and I think that I, that was certainly one of Pete's trademarks for the bye week is uh, right. freshman got a lot of extended reps. And I think a right. guy like and Elijah it, Griffin in this situation could be perfect. And if you're looking at a guy like Elijah Griffin, okay, uh, what he should remind you of is a more athletic and natural Jack Jones. Okay, he possesses a lot of the, uh, the same ball skills, athletic, raw athleticism, but he's a more of a refined corner, whereas Jack Jones thought of himself as a receiver playing cornerback. Okay, there's a bigger difference in that. Okay, his range, his skill set, and he is also a volume corner, meaning that the longer he plays in the game, the more he gets comfortable and the more he figures things out. And so I would love to see that competition open up. But if it's been Clancy's, um, it's been at least in years past, he's tend to defer to more veteran players. But when mm-hmm. your veteran players aren't performing at a high level and you have a freshman on the uprise, you almost have to look at the future and make the future your present. And, and so a couple of other freshmen I want to mention from this last game. Uh, very noticeable to see Palaie Naoteote uh, getting a lot of reps uh, on the outside. And I think yes. that's something that – because that, that kind of leads in, and, and also Kanai Mauga. Uh, Daryl, we're not getting a lot of pressure, at least not as much as we were getting last year. Um, granted, we don't have Nwusu, we don't have Rasheen Green. I get that. Yep. Uh, but, but, but that is there, and like you say, that, that, that affects the secondary as well. Um, and then the lack of intercept, you know, we're, we're, we're not getting mm-hmm. turnovers. We're not right yeah. But, 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 but Gary, turnovers come hand in hand, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Interceptions, yeah, unless your coverage is exceptional. Defensive backs tend to rely on the pass rush, but the pass mm-hmm. rush tends to rely on the effectiveness of the secondary's ability to give them that extra step. And if this game didn't teach us anything, it should have exposed an area where we're leaning maybe the uh, the defense is leaning a little too heavily on Porter Gustin to give that type of production. So when you lose him, okay, when you lose him for a half, and now you have to manufacture a pass rush, what was one of the ways that I saw early on in that game that USC was able to try to combat that and give the defense at least an opportunity to even get their hands up? I saw the secondary for the first time showing a disguise. They showed a cover two shell, two safeties high. They listened to the cadence of the quarterback. And then uh, Minshew, uh, the, the, the quarterback from Washington State, they were listening to his cadence. And then as the defensive line moved, the defense then adjusted to man coverage, one safety high. They crept into it low. And so they didn't give the obvious look. But you're absolutely right. Um, seeing that, t- that rotation, getting them some reps, will give them an opportunity to start practicing their pass rushing ability because eventually we're going to have to rely on more more than um, a, a Port Augustine or uh, a Dorton or even a Christian Rector who shows up in spurts but not consistent enough. Um, but even if um, Jordan yeah. Acefa, we need to see it, we need to see everyone really kind of step up 
and, and take pressure off of Porter Gustin because moving forward, teams will start chipping him by putting a tight end over there. So it's going to create those one-on-one matchups, but it all starts with the defense playing um, synchronized uh, defense, moving together and instead of um, the, the secondary really playing a, in a different zip code than the defensive line. Right, and that's why I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Pala EA start getting as many reps outside as he would have gotten inside. Um, just what you're saying with Iosefa or, or backing up Porter, either side, doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter. Pala EA is a, is a guy that can provide some energy, so let's start working him in there now that he's healthy again. Would not surprise me at all to see his reps go up in a big way quickly. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk some special teams from this game. Um, special teams, as we know this year, has been, uh, let's say it's been up and down. Uh, but, but there was a couple big, you know, there was certainly a big block at the end uh, where supposedly Cameron Smith saw something um, with the way their, one of their linemen leaned. And when you see it on tape, boy, did he lean. He leaned so much he fell down. And uh, <laughs> J.C. Bellet was able to take a nice couple steps up and get, uh, get his hand up there with a beautiful block. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Daryl, really quick, uh, were you surprised that Mike Leach set up for the kick? Um, in, in that situation to play for the tie. The way his reputation is, I was kind of surprised he didn't take a couple shots and try to win it on the road. I, I am surprised because much as we criticize at times Clay Helton for situational, um, for for lack of situational football, um, the same can be said on in that regard to Mike Leach. Uh, I thought that Minshew, and you would probably agree with this, at, at times pretty much had his way, especially for short yardage. And yeah. all game, Washington State was being very aggressive. So for him, for Mike Leach to dial it back and play for a tie, I, I give credit in two areas. One is um, Mr. Football for us, uh, Cam Smith, 15 tackles, you know, showing ver- versatility on, on defense, but also being smart. Johnny on the spot, recognizing earlier on whether it was a, a – a, a point after touchdown or a PAT or a field goal situation where he noticed that the center weight was leaning. That's something that he saw on film, and the coaches empowered um, Cam to make that call. But then also, Gary, we got to give a lot of credit to the 53,000-plus that showed up. You know, it, it wasn't the typical 80,000 that one would expect to be as loud. But for 53,000 fans, I think that that had every bit to do with the way that Mike Leach felt like USC had the momentum, so rather than risk it all, you know, uh, try to go for uh, for the tie. So I think that the fans had every bit to do with his his um, his decision to go for the field goal as opposed to trying to win the game on the road. Right, right. Uh, before we get off special teams, I, I want to mention one guy who really hasn't gotten a lot of attention. And, and that's our freshman kickoff specialist right now, Alex Stathouse. Uh, Daryl, you know, we, we, we have good, good kickoff teams. We don't have good kickoff teams sometimes. But this kid is, is as good as I've seen in a long time for the Trojans. Two-thirds of his kickoffs are going back for touchbacks. And, and you talked about how important that is for the defense to kind of know, you know, if you're, if you're running down on kickoff coverage and everything. But if you just know, hey, the ball's going to be on the 25, let's get, let's get to playing some football. Um, that's not a small thing. <laughs> no, it isn't. I mean, and, and for a defensive player, former defensive player, look, you, you guys should be taking your meal card and buying this guy an extra smoothie, extra Gatorade, <laughs> or hamburger because he is giving you a spell. With the ball being on the 
25-yard line, you're not giving the opponent an opportunity to build false momentum or to build, you know, any type of momentum by breaking one loose. So um, for, for, for there to be so many question marks on special teams coverage, that is certainly an area of positivity that USC is grateful to have. And so while we as fans may take it for granted, the players certainly respect the efforts that they're getting out of the young freshmen. Yeah, and there are special teams issues, yes. They've been uh, they've been documented from, from shanked punts to, you know, lapses in coverage to, you know, block kickoff, block field goals. We, we've had them, and uh, let's, Let's hope they're they're a part of the third, first third of the season, and we leave them there. Um, let's talk about probably the most important thing to come out of this game, Daryl, uh, on on Friday night. And and there are absolutely two schools of thought on, on the We Are FC message boards uh, for USC to you know Stanford and Texas. We faced adversity and did not respond. Uh, in this game, there was adversity the entire game. We responded, like you said, the the fifty three thousand that were there did their part. But there are two distinct tones on the message board, Daryl. Okay, yes, it was good to get the win. You got the win. You, you did some things right, and let's move forward. And there was also the train of thought of, okay, nice to get the win, but you didn't fit, it didn't solve any of our issues. Nothing's fixed. These issues are still going to be here moving forward. There's merit to both arguments. We right. just don't know which way it's going to go. Right, right. And, you know, after – we got a nice sample size now, right? We have 16 quarters sure. of football documented sure. in the books, and USC comes out two and two, okay? Now, if you're looking at it from one perspective, uh, I look at it for, from this. Offensively, it took them four weeks to really get to know one another, the dating process, you know, figuring out the, the, the kinks and the quirks of the offense what JT Daniels does well, how he handles pressure, how he responds in pressure, where he likes to throw the ball. And the receivers may be feeling a little slighted because he has more chemistry with his uh, incoming freshman, Amon Ross St. Brown, and, and not really feeling like, you know, that chemistry is resonating with them. Whatever the circumstances may have been, it wasn't helped by the coaching staff throwing a lot of responsibility on the passing game and, a, and really not being patient enough to allow for the three-headed monsters, Aka Cedric Ware, um, Bavai, and, and Carr, to really get going and develop a rhythm of how they're going to attack the season. For all of those issues, the lack of presence of the tight end, US, USC have been filling themselves out, and they needed that home game to fall behind to really exercise those demons. Because what did we see? We saw at times, you almost got the sense that the offense wanted to defer back to becoming one-dimensional and passing the ball, but against better judgment, they committed to a running game, and they integrated the pistol. They went back and, you know, they summoned years of, of USC football and reintroduced an I-formation package. It's going to take that type of formations build, um, as the building blocks to give this offense success moving forward. And that balance isn't going to come with the disparity of passes. It's going to come with a commitment to the running game, which appears to open up the passing game. So I don't know if I'm necessarily answering the question, because I don't think after four games we are going to know if this was an aberration, if it was more Washington State falling apart with their penalties, or if it was USC really counterpunching their way back into this game. 
but whatever it was, USC now has it documented that post-Sam Darnold, it's going to take a collective effort for them to win these games. And they can't turn to their quarterback to bail them out. Their quarterback is going to be a part of the sum of all parts. And I think that that's going to be a better recipe for them to win moving forward, especially going on the road against Arizona. And that's going to be key. Uh, I, I just want to reiterate the point you made earlier when talking about all this with the offense. I, I just think it's so big. The lack of reps that JT Daniels would have gotten with Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns in scrimmage situations. I, I, it, it wasn't very many, if any. Uh, Tyler Vaughns sat out the first scrimmage. Michael, Vaughn, Michael Pittman got hurt, was hurt. The second yep. scrimmage was what, like 20, 30 plays? I don't think either guy played. And the third scrimmage right. was a closed one that was mostly to get lined up right. Um, I don't know if they but, had But, but Gary, this, this, is, this is also worth mentioning. Uh, there were some issues, some health issues with the offensive tackles going into uh-huh. that second scrimmage sure. that may have prevented, sure. you know, may have prevented some comp- necessary competition that, no that, that um, all the quarterbacks in this team would have benefited from. So they almost came limping into the season with more question marks and uncertainty than answers that they're now having to figure out on the road when it matters most, you know, in games that count. But also, like you say, the timing issues. If you look at it as, okay, you you had your chance in a couple games to get the time, because that's what was most noticeable to me about this game. Like we said, it wasn't the JT threw the ball 48 times. It was the quality of completion. Uh, that, that, that I really that I really took from it and, and with, with the lead guys, and so that tells yeah. me hopefully that the timing is rounding into shape. And and you hit it on the head, and we'll close it talking about this. You know, okay, there there there's there's some momentum right now. You got another win under your belt, so you're sitting here at two and two. But boy, Daryl, how big all of a sudden is this Arizona game right now before the bye? Um, you 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 win and you walk into the bye with a lot of momentum. You don't, and. Uh, you kind of almost back to square one. Right, right. And, and so, and now keep in mind that um, a blocked field goal perhaps changes the narrative of everything because this wasn't the most polished game, okay? Um, because the defense gave up more plays than it deservingly should have. It cannot mm-hmm. afford to do that on the road against Arizona, all right? Offensively, you're now showing us signs. Now that you're going to spoil us and tease us with this type of balance, in that you you can actually go to a physical style of running um, of um, of running with eye formation without a true fullback on the field. I I am no longer going to accept the excuse that you go one back offset and you're trying to get one or two yards and and you get beat. Uh, your defensive line uh, the defensive line penetrates pressure and sacks you in the backfield. That's no longer going to be accepted. So the expectations now you've set a foundation. A basement, right? We should now this expect that this offense should be building off of these blocks and, and really kind of summon the way that the, that the receivers are now coming to age and they're playing up to their ability, taking pressure off of JT Daniels. Not saying that he needs to, but it elevates his game when he knows that he can trust that players are going to make plays even if he's not perfect on a throw and that he can rely on the uh, the running game to spell them. So was this an aberration? We won't know until this upcoming week. But, boy, they needed this game. They have the weekend to kind of catch their breath before they go on the road. Well, the Chargers are sitting here at 2-2 two and two right now. And uh, like Daryl said, on the road next weekend against Arizona, 7.30 kick. Uh, going to be an important game, but heading into the bye week. 
For Daryl Rodeau, this is Gary Paskowitz. You're listening to the We Are SE Podcast.